Hey everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the zoo of us. This is your favorite animal review podcast where we take your favorite animals and review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do a lot of research to try and get those true facts. Only the truest. Yes. How many episodes do you think we have to make before we can stop saying that we're not experts? Um, I don't think it's episode based. <laughs> <laughs> There's like a certain, you know how they say like it takes like what, 10,000 hours to master something? We've surely made some progress towards that goal of becoming. I, I don't think that would make us zoological masters. I think that would make us Google masters. <laughs> Just making a podcast about animals, masters. Probably applicable skills, though. (laughs) Before we get into it this week, I did have one quick thing that I wanted to mention at the top. Uh, If you like Pokemon, I was over on the Planthropology podcast with our buddy, Dr. Vikram Baliga, and we talked about grass-type Pokemon. I got to talk about some really, uh, really neat Pokemon, and Vikram shared with me the plant science behind their designs, which was really, really cool. It was a very fun episode. So um, if you like plants and you like Pokemon, go check that out. That's Planthropology I was on last week. It was really fun. So, Christian, I believe it's your turn to go first this week. Okay. What you got for us? This week, I'm talking about the Egyptian vulture. Getting my information today from Animal Diversity Web. Beautiful. I'm excited about this. Yeah, it's pretty good. Neophron Perchnopterus. Perchnopterus? Perchnopterus. Perchnopterus. Yes. I was adding extra syllables. <laughs> That's a cool name, though. Yeah, it is. The species name means black wing, I believe. Black wing. I'll, t- I'll talk about the genus later. Blackwing sounds like a cool superhero name, though, doesn't it? <laughs> it's me, Blackwing. Well, there's Darkwing Duck. Oh, shoot. Yeah, there is, isn't there? <laughs> no relation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this species was submitted by Elena Hall via email. Thank you, Elena. Yeah, Elena mentioned that um, they fell in love with this bird by seeing them at the New York State Fair. Which I think is pretty cool. That is pretty cool. I've never seen this bird in real life before. So we, we wouldn't. Uh, they are normally found in Southern Europe and Asia and Northern Africa, as there we its go. name might. Hence the yes. name Egyptian <laughs> vulture. Yes. Got it. But um, not exclusive to Egypt, though. No. So all across Southern Europe and Asia, particularly India. Oh, wow. And Northern Africa. Okay. So they've got quite a range then. Yep. They must be good at a lot of stuff. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) So what these guys look like, they are flighted birds and vultures. So if you're familiar with, I guess, the outline of a vulture, that's a good starting point. The general layout, (laughs) the blueprint of the vulture. Yeah. They have white colored heads and backs and they have dark flight feathers. So it's a very interesting contrast there. When you say dark flight feathers, what do you mean by the flight so feathers? So these are the feathers. If you if a bird has its wings fully extended and is pointing up, these are the feathers on their wings pointing down. Kind of like along the back edge of the wing. Yep. Like the yep. long pointy feathers. Yeah. So in a plane, this is the part of the wing that kind of moves up and down. And they have featherless faces like many vultures. Mm-hmm. Bald, wrinkly. Yeah. Fun. But the color ranges from yellow to orange. Interesting. Yeah. That's a neat combo. It is. I like the way these guys look. So they're white with a yellow face and black feathers on their wings. Black accent feathers, yeah. That's really cool. Uh I love this palette. (laughs) The juveniles, instead of the white sections, are more like brown speckled. 
Aww. Not unlike the bald eagle, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. we've had trouble differentiating juvenile bald eagles from mm-hmm. hawks. Yeah, <laughs> they're just bigger, basically. Speaking of size, these are an average of nineteen hundred grams, or four pounds, and sixty-eight centimeters long, or twenty-seven inches long. And their wingspan is one point six eight meters, or five and a half feet. That's huge. Yes. I was thinking that I was surprised that they only weighed about four pounds, <laughs> but for a flighted bird, that makes a lot of sense. It does. They have to be very light. Yes. They belong to the taxonomic family Accipitridae. 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 That sounds more correct than what I said. <laughs> <laughs> Other things in that family are old world vultures in general and hawks and eagles. We've talked about an old world vulture before. Yes, it was one of yours, I believe. Yeah, it was the bearded vulture. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite animals the on this whole The bone crusher. Yes, the bone <laughs> cruncher. <laughs> I wanted to say something interesting about old world vultures. Okay. Okay. We talked about this in the bearded vulture episode two, but that was a really long time ago, so mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. Vultures in this Accipitridae family, these like old world vultures, they're called old world vultures because there's another group of vultures called the new world vultures that mm-hmm. live in the americas on the other side of the planet Mm -hmm. but the weird thing is that they're not particularly related to each other yeah so like the old world vultures are more closely related to like you said like the hawks and eagles and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and the new world vultures are like their own thing but they evolved very similar features like the bald face right because they eat similar things they have similar diets Mm -hmm. so like because they're facing similar circumstances, they evolved similar features. It's really interesting convergent evolution. It's like the, God, I never know how to say this word, niche? niche. Yeah. <laughs> say it both ways so that uh, nobody will be mad at you. Niche, niche. Yeah. Um, because that exists wherever you are in the world. Yeah. Being, you know, dying animals. <laughs> Listen, stuff's dying everywhere. Yeah. So you got to be able to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that both groups of vultures turned out so similar to each other, even though they came from very different origins. Yep. That's pretty cool. I love convergent evolution. Yeah. (laughs) Please continue. I will. Our first category is effectiveness. This talks about physical attributes to help them do the things they want to do. I will be giving a 7 out of 10 for effectiveness. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So they are carnivorous. They mostly feed on carrion, which is another word for dead animal flesh mm-hmm. <laughs> and such yeah dead stuff as vultures are known to do yes that is kind of their whole thing but they're also opportunistic and will go for things like smaller animals bird eggs nestlings and didn't know this one dung Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yucky <laughs> so they just eat poop yep nasty the larger animals yeah Ooh, I mean, okay, I say nasty from, like, the human perspective. Yeah. I understand it's probably not that nasty for them, but couldn't be me. One of the animals whose dung they do eat includes huh? humans, oh, actually. Oh, don't, don't eat that. <laughs> I probably shouldn't judge them too much for eating poop because we let our dog in our house and she eats poop. Let is a strong word. <laughs> We live with our dog. Allow her to exist in our space. (laughs) And she eats poop, and that's not a deal breaker for us. So maybe we shouldn't judge the vulture so harshly for eating poop. (laughs) I'll judge the dog. I don't care. Uh, next thing I want to talk about, they have a hooked beak, like mm. many members of this family. And that beak is good for getting meat between bones, like between ribs and such. And the scraps of meat left behind on the bone 
from other predators and scavengers. So that's that's what's usually left, right, after the primary predator has finished with a carcass. Sure, like sinew yeah. stuff. Stuff it didn't want to bother with or stuff it was too full to bother with by the time it got to that point. Or just couldn't get to. Like sure. maybe its mouth couldn't reach into all the crevices and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when I'm eating chicken wings, I really wish I had a hooked beak to <laughs> really get in all those nooks and crannies. Get between the bones. Yeah. I'm known for leaving clean bones on the plate. <laughs> One thing I thought was interesting, I was expecting them to have a good sense of smell. Because that's something you think of with vultures and how they find their prey. Yeah. Not prey, but food source. Right. They don't. They don't. (laughs) (laughs) So these do not use smell to find food. Instead, they use sight, uh, usually noticing other vultures (laughs) circling or surrounding a carcass. (laughs) And this comes into play in ingenuity a little bit. But the final thing I want to talk about in effectiveness is they're not great at what I call flappy flight. Oh, no flaps. (laughs) They can do it, but they're not particularly um, efficient at it. So what they like to do better than that is starting from a high location and just kind of flying down or using thermal updrafts. Oh. Yeah, to be like a soaring bird. A thermal updraft. What do you mean by that? This has to do with the movement of warm air. Mm -hmm. Um, So this has to do with the uneven heating of the Earth's surface. Okay. Um, so the, the sun will heat up the surface and then that will warm up the air close to the surface and then that warm air will move up and then cold air will move around it coming down. If you've ever played The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, yeah. <laughs> if there is a fire on the ground, so for instance, the grass has caught fire, mm. you can set the grass on fire if you want. Uh, when the ground gets really hot from a fire, it creates a thermal updraft. Right. Which in the game, of course, is highly exaggerated. It's like a powerful gust of wind rising from the ground, which you can then get out your paraglider and use it to, it like catches the wind and carries you up into the sky. Right. It's very interesting <laughs> that the vultures are using a similar technique. It seems like lots of birds that do this kind of soaring will use. They're, they're also called thermals, just thermals sometimes. Mm. But yeah. You know, around here we have like turkey vultures, very mm. common here where we live. And one of the ways that you can tell from a great distance that the bird that you're looking at is a vulture is by its sort of flight pattern, right? Uh-huh. So if the bird that you're looking at is super high up in the sky and mostly just soaring, really like kind of not flapping at all and just slowly coasting, usually that's a vulture. Right. I find them kind of relaxing to watch because they just kind of are like chill gliding through the sky. It's kind of neat. I always wonder what it is that they're circling. Yeah. I mean, they're always up to something out there. They've they've got their eyes on something. I mean, you mentioned that they're good at seeing. So like they probably see something we don't. So which moves me into our ingenuity category, which is talking about smart things they do. Eight out of ten. Ooh. Here's why. Okay. Tool use. No. Yes. What? Yep. So they will throw rocks at large, thick-shelled <laughs> eggs, like ostrich eggs, to get at their insides. Throwing rocks? Yes. It's an egg! You don't have to throw a rock at it! You do with an ostrich egg. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> that egg is too big for it to pick up. Oh, clever! I was thinking, I was like, it's an egg, you could just pick it up and drop it, it's right. not that tough. Right. Oh, but they're after the big stuff. Uh-huh. That's very interesting. They wouldn't <laughs> otherwise be able to eat an ostrich egg. Right. Wow, how clever. Right. Good job, Egyptian vultures. Big surprise. And then I kind of hinted at this earlier, but they have an interesting pecking order with other scavengers. Really? Yeah. Okay. They're not at the top. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned they, they look for other vultures to find 
food. Mm-hmm. So there's a pecking order where other birds will go first for scavenging. And I had never heard of this in the, in this context, but there's a bird called a griffin. An actual real life griffin. Yes. Okay. Not, not, not the mythological beast. <laughs> not the half lion, half eagle right. griffin. There's a real griffin. Yeah. It's, it's, it's another kind of vulture. Okay. Um, but they're larger. So those go first. Mm-hmm, number one. Then the Egyptian vulture. Okay. And then bringing up the rear are kites and crows. Little guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Crows are clever. They probably have little ways of getting at stuff that like everything else has already picked off of. Maybe. I mean, they are smaller. So. Yeah. And then our final category is aesthetics. This one is how nice do they look? Mm-hmm. And it's probably not surprising. I'm giving a nine out of ten. It's a beautiful bird. It is. It is. I would argue the most beautiful vulture I've ever seen. After you've seen the bearded vulture? I think so. <sighs> Oh, no. (laughs) We've encountered a conflict. (laughs) And like I mentioned earlier, I'm a big fan of the contrasting colors. It's gorgeous. Um, Only point there is something about the bald face. I know. Okay. (laughs) We shouldn't have given you this one because you have a bias against bald, wrinkly animals. (laughs) I think it's cute. Mm -hmm. I'm not bothered by the bald face. Yeah. So that's why it surprises me that you think they're prettier than the bearded vulture because the bearded vulture doesn't have that hairless face. It might be a recent, what's it called? A, uh, a recent bias type mm. thing where I, I don't have a solid picture of the bearded vulture anymore. In my oh, mind. sure. It's a recency bias. There it is. is. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so moving into just some miscellaneous information their conservation status is unfortunately endangered uh they can die by poisoning from the animals they eat and that can be on purpose or not Mm. so they can be killed when that animal was killed with lead bullets or that it's it's like a livestock animal that was given anti-inflammatory drugs oh that last thing appears to be a big problem with uh, necrophagous birds in general throughout europe and asia Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a recollection of talking about that with a bearded vulture, too, that like putting poison out with the anticipation of it killing like some sort of pest species then works its way up the food chain to all the stuff that eats it. But this one has been a particular problem because it's it's a medicine given to like livestock Mm. that's supposed to be anti-inflammatory for them, but the vulture causes kidney failure. Oh, no. Yes. And I'm sure that was, you know, a purely unintended consequence. Right. Right. You know, but still something to think about. Yep. An interesting um, domino effect sort of thing where like something that seems fairly innocuous can actually Mm. have a pretty big ripple effect in the ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. The next thing I want to talk about is their relevance in the culture of ancient Egypt. Yeah, absolutely. This is our first time getting to really talk about an Egyptian animal or an animal associated with Egypt. Right. So the most, I guess, obvious thing is there is an ancient Egyptian hieroglyph of the Egyptian vulture. So I learned a lot about hieroglyphs. <laughs> oh, boy. That's cool. That's um, always a cool thing to learn about. So there's a mix of what those hieroglyphs mean. Some mean sounds like syllables, while sure. others mean concepts. Other can mean like words. Huh. Their symbol means the sound that in English would be like the, the A sound in a word like spa. Okay. So like an ah sound. Yes. Okay. It took me 
a very long time to understand what sound they were talking about. What? <laughs> Just look up the IPA, bro. I did, and it turns out I'm bad at IPA stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> but I found it eventually, because the first thing I saw, it just said, oh, it's the stand-in for A. I was mm-hmm. like, there's no way it means the word A. And then I realized that they're talking about the sound A. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help that in English, our letters largely mean whatever we want them to mean in that moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, by the way... English-speaking countries did not understand hieroglyphs until relatively very recently. Right. Um, with the, basically, uncovering of the Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was not that long ago in the Grand Scheme It wasn't. It was like in the, I think it was the, 1800, the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, and in that culture, the Egyptian vulture itself was considered sacred and protected and was had the nickname of the Pharaoh's chicken. The Pharaoh's chicken. <laughs> um, they were believed to be all female. So it was thought to be like a symbol of eternal cycle of life and death. Oh, interesting. So that we'd take in death and produce more. Oh, what a nice way of thinking about it. That's right. so much kinder to the vulture than I feel like our connotations of them are. Right. Which are largely like, ew, gross. They pick at dead stuff. I like that framing better. But they, they you know, they, they perform a very important service in the ecosystem, right? It's mm-hmm. help cleaning up things like, you know, dead bodies and even dung and, and human habitats, you know, even organic waste, like. Right. That kind of thing. Like, imagine what the neighborhood you live in would look like if that stuff was never picked at. Right. It would be gross. <laughs> so, I got most of that information from this website called Life Egyptian Vulture, which is, it's, it's lifeegyptianvulture.it, but there's only one E between life and Egyptian. So, it's L-I-F-E-G-Y-P-T-I-A-N. Life Egyptian. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then the .it means it's an Italian website. Oh, okay. That's because they are in Italy, and oh. including the Canary Islands. So this website has to do with the conservation of the Italian populations of the Egyptian vulture. Cool. Mm-hmm. They actually have some on the islands that are larger than other Egyptian vultures. Like, it's a subspecies. That makes sense. I think that's a thing, right? Like, island gigantism, where, like, animals mm-hmm. that live on islands often become much bigger than their mainland counterparts. Right. And then... Oh, <laughs> My last topic, their genus name. So their genus name was Neophron. Mm-hmm. This comes from a Greek mythology story about two men, Neophron and Aegypius. Okay. Not appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to say some stuff happened between these two men. They had bad beef. <laughs> <laughs> One of them went to Zeus about it. Uh huh. Zeus was like, that's messed up, yo. Turned them both into vultures. <laughs> <laughs> I love Zeus's problem-solving strategies of uh-huh. just turning stuff into animals. He's like, I don't feel like dealing with you guys. <laughs> and some other people involved were also turned into other birds. But <laughs> <laughs> I, It's like when you're a kid and you and your sibling are like arguing over a video game and you go to your mom about it and your mom just like puts the video game away and it's like there no one can play the video game now you go to zeus with your problems and he's like all right fine you're both vultures now yeah so that's where that comes from <laughs> you described the story to me you gave me kind of the spark notes version of it last night uh, it's something yeah why is greek mythology always like this you're a mess <laughs> so messy 
But yeah, that is the Egyptian vulture. Great work, babe. Thank Thanks. you so much. This is a great animal. Thank, Thank you. you for the request, Elena. I highly recommend folks look for the picture of what <sighs> these things look like. The pictures are so good. I'm sure they'll see in the social media about this episode. That's true. Yeah, there very much will be. Let's take a quick break to hear some promos from our friends on the Max Fun Network, and then we'll get to my animal. Most game shows quiz contestants about topics they don't even care about. But for 100 episodes, the Go Fact Yourself podcast has asked celebrity guests trivia about topics they choose for themselves. And introduced them to some of their personal heroes along the way. Oh my gosh. Shut up. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm going to cry. Oh my stuff. <laughs> It's so, so exciting to Join me, J. Keith Van Stratton. And me, Helen Hong, along with special guests DJ Jazzy Jeff and Faith Saley, plus some amazing surprise experts on the 100th episode of Go Fact Yourself. And join us twice a month, every month, for new episodes of Go Fact Yourself here on Maximum Fun. It's the dramatic conclusion of Minority Corner with your host, James Arthur M. Yes, that's right. After seven years, this will be the end. Will James and his guest co-host solve racism, homophobia, and sexism? Will James end his longtime feud with Jennifer Hudson? Will someone get married, turn out to be an evil twin? Will James and his guest co-host talk about news, pop culture, history, and all things nerdy? Probably. Yeah, that's probably the one that will definitely happen. Find out on the dramatic conclusion of Minority Corner right here on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Minority Corner, because together, we're the majority. So, what animal do you bring this week? This week, I am continuing our theme of stinky animals. Stinky? Stink. I mean, you know, the <laughs> vulture eats poop and stuff. That's true. I think it's probably, I mean, I've never been up close enough to one to smell it, but it probably doesn't smell great. I guess it's probably a good <laughs> thing that they hunt mo- more so with vision than with a sense of smell. <laughs> I feel like a sense, a heightened sense of smell would probably be detrimental to them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't smell past my own stink. <laughs> anyway. This week I'm talking about the Eastern Spotted Skunk. Oh boy. Yes. Weaponized stink. Yes. The the stink is part of their strategy. It's right. an intentional stink. Um, scientific name, Spilogale putorius. Uh, this species was submitted by Shannon Levasser Pierce. Thank you, Shannon. Great suggestion. Who actually requested any of the skunks. Okay. Um, and I was originally going to do the striped skunk, but in my research, I found something unique to the spotted skunk that won me over. Oh, so boy. I actually kind of like abandoned ship and restarted my notes <laughs> like halfway through <laughs> and switched to the spotted skunk. We'll get to the striped skunk. It's okay, but there's something really cute about the spotted skunk okay. that I wanted to talk about. And I'm getting my information from the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission and some other little sources that I will site as they come up. So if you're not familiar with skunks, this skunk in particular is actually pretty small. They're only up to two feet or 70 centimeters long. Ooh. And that's including the tail. Oh, that is small. It's little. This is like house cat size. Yeah. They're smaller than their cousins, the striped skunks. So striped skunks are bigger. Mm-hmm. You can also tell them apart from the striped skunk by the patterns on their fur. Mm-hmm. So as the name would imply, both of them are black with white markings. Yes. But the striped skunks have either two or one broad stripes that just go straight down the back. Right? Right. Think Pepe Le Pew. 
There was like a scene in Pepe Le Pew. I don't want to think about Pepe Le Pew. You don't want to think. (laughs) (laughs) Highly problematic. But (laughs) there's like a scene where a black cat in Pepe Le Pew like walks under a freshly painted bench and gets a white stripe of paint down Mm -hmm. the cat's back and looks like a skunk. So that's kind of what a striped skunk's stripes look like. Sure. But the spotted skunk instead has basically a bunch of squiggly lines all over their body. So they still have stripes. Oh. But they're like squiggly stripes. Okay. And the stripes can be kind of broken up in such a way where they look like spots. (laughs) Perforated skunk. Yes, a perforated skunk, basically. (laughs) That would probably be a better name but kind of like around its face and stuff it has little white spots Uh so like it has kind of a mix of stripes and spots you'll find these guys in the eastern half of north america mostly in the southeastern united states but their range extends just a little bit into like canada and mexico they are in the family mephitidae which is the skunk family all of the skunks used to be thought of as types of weasels Mm. in the mustelid family but they're not They're their own thing. Okay. There are 12 species of skunk, including the iconic striped skunks, which are found all throughout North America. You'll find them in Mexico, in Canada. You'll find them everywhere. And including here in Florida. We have skunks here. In Florida, we have both the striped and the eastern spotted skunk. And the eastern spotted skunk is one of four species of spotted skunk. Wow. Yeah. So there's quite a bit of variation because they're found in such a huge range. There's a lot of like little like subspecies Uh and they're all kind of similar. Sure. I did want to mention this since this is the first time we've talked about skunks. I wanted to mention that there is a genus of the skunk family called stink badgers (laughs) and they can only be found in Indonesia and the Philippines. Whereas all the other types of skunks are found in the Americas. Okay. So stink badgers actually do look more like badgers, but they spray like they're skunk cousins right. and they are related to skunks, not badgers. Huh. Yeah. So stink badgers. It's a type of skunk. I saw stink badgers referenced and I thought that was just like a mean name for skunks, <laughs> but it's not. It's a different thing. Huh. So to get into my ratings for the Eastern Spotted Skunk, for effectiveness, I give it an eight out of 10. Pretty good. It's pretty good. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Just right off the gate, let's talk about what I know you want to talk about. Skunks are famous for their defensive chemical spray. Uh So the spray is produced from these two anal glands Mm -hmm. on either side of their butt. It's also like a yellow oily liquid. So it looks like pee. It looks like they're peeing. Sure. But it's not. It's a different thing. It's like a yellow oil. In fact, after depleting their spray, it can take up to 10 days for them to make more, basically. So they have, okay. like, a cool down. <laughs> it's, it's a recharge, like, in D&D. Right. <laughs> like, you can, it's like a special ability they can only use once every 10 days. <laughs> so lots of animals, including dogs and even humans, have these anal glands, but um, skunks just really, like, maxed theirs out. So other animals use these sort of anal secretions to mark territory or communicate with each other, like dogs, you know, uh-huh. like mark scent. With skunks, they basically took that mechanic and just exaggerated it drastically. (laughs) So to the point that the glands are armed with these muscles that can like squeeze to get that sort of like forceful spray out of their glands. So first of all, they can spray up to 10 feet. That's a lot. It's a lot. They have some serious distance. But also the glands protrude like little turrets they can like come out a little bit (laughs) okay and this lets them aim their spray Uh yeah so they have actually pretty good aim they tend to go for the eyes 
So, like, if a dog or a fox or something is attacking them, then they aim the spray for the eyes to incapacitate the predator so that they can get away. This is the companion to the spitting cobra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... According to Dr. William F. Wood from Humboldt State University's Department of Chemistry, Uh skunk spray is full of thiols, which are these sulfur-based compounds. For those unfamiliar with sulfur, it is known for smelling awful. It smells like rotten eggs. There's a, a spring in my hometown that is known for being full of sulfur, and it smells horrible. <laughs> it must be super concentrated, though, because I've, I've never smelled a spring that smells as bad as a skunk. Right, right. So, I mean, it's not like just sulfur. Sure. It's, it's a compound that's based on sulfur. The human nose, turns out, is really sensitive to thiols. Oh. Yeah. Like, so apparently the human nose can detect thiol compounds in the air even in concentrations as low as 10 parts per billion. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so it, just any, even the faintest trace of these compounds in the air and the human nose is like shields up, red alert, like ready to go, can detect even just like the tiniest little trace of thiols. So this is why humans can smell skunk spray even from miles away. Huh. So like I bring this up a lot, how like constantly when we're driving somewhere, it's got to be at least once a week that we'll be driving somewhere and I'll smell skunk spray, right? Yeah. We smell it all the time, but I've never seen a skunk. Yeah. Never seen a wild skunk, but we smell them constantly. And that's because the human nose is so sensitive to that chemical that it could have sprayed three miles away from you mm-hmm. and you'd know about it. And it could have been, you know, a day ago and you'd still smell it, especially if you're downwind. <laughs> Rough. Yeah, so um, that's why, you know, it's it's not necessarily, it's not a toxic chemical, but it can be so overwhelming to the human, like, sensory system that it can actually cause you to vomit. You know, it can be very distressing. Um, it's extremely unpleasant for humans. <laughs> so did we develop this sensitivity to just super duper avoid it? <laughs> you know, I mean, I've seen that thiol compounds are the same things that give onions and garlic their aroma. It's not the same compounds, but it's like similar, like similar types of compounds give like some of the food that we really like. It gives it that sort of aroma. Interesting. Yeah. So I I don't know why humans are particularly sensitive to the thiols, but that's just why skunks in particular are so incredibly like offensive to us because we can smell them so well. I would imagine it would probably be the other way around that they developed like a spray with these compounds because it triggers such a strong reaction. Maybe. So that being said, if you or your pets have been sprayed by a skunk, you probably know how difficult it can be to get rid of the smell. Have you ever been sprayed by a skunk? No, but a family dog was once. Mm, So you know. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What did you guys try to get the smell out of the dog? I don't. It's been so long. I'm not sure if we actually did try the the tomato thing or if right. that was just a, a movie or something. No, that's the commonly sort of cited like folk remedy. Yeah. Um. Everybody says to use tomato juice. Uh. Don't do that. <laughs> it's <laughs> a waste of time. It doesn't do anything. It's kind of like peeing on a jellyfish sting. Like it's just gonna <laughs> add new mess to the situation. Now, now you have two problems. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
<laughs> One reason people have given for why people think tomato juice works is that by the time you're done bathing in tomato juice, your nose has gone nose blind to the skunk smell and is now smelling the tomato juice and okay. thinks that the tomato juice has replaced the skunk smell. But if a new person comes into the area, is like, oh, it smells like skunk and tomato in here. <laughs> um, so don't do that. It's a waste of time. Instead, you need to oxidize the thiol compounds to neutralize their odor. Okay. So you can mix a quart of hydrogen peroxide, which is like a bottle that you can just get from a drugstore, a quart of hydrogen peroxide with a quarter cup of baking soda and squeeze a, just like a little bit of dish soap and use that to wash the spray off. So Interesting. hydrogen peroxide, baking soda, and dish soap. The mixture will um, neutralize the smell every time. Wow. Yeah. So a couple of notes about that. Number one, use the mixture immediately. It is not shelf stable. It oh, will, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can't just like mix it and then keep it for next time. You got to use it immediately. Also, don't leave it on for too long because it can bleach hair. Yeah. Yeah. So I've heard of like dogs, like you, you use this on a dog <laughs> and then the dog is now a few shades lighter. <laughs> <laughs> Our dog printer is running out of toner. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's a it's a little home bleach job. It's, oh. it's, yeah, don't do that. So this remedy was actually figured out by a chemist named Paul Krebaum in 1993. Hmm. In addition to having this like potent noxious chemical spray the skunks also have a high contrasting black and white coloration which acts as kind of a warning signal to predators like most of the time predators will see some sort of high contrast and know like something's up mm. <laughs> um, this is called aposematism when an animal has some sort of flashy warning signal that you should not mess with that animal because it has something right it's pretty effective most animals will not try to take on a skunk i i've also heard reports that like if a dog gets sprayed by a skunk they will no longer bother skunks after that <laughs> <laughs> like they get it they're like oh all right <laughs> what i did want to say about the spray is that while it works great in close combat scenarios since the spray requires positioning right because the skunk has to like turn around and aim at you and it also requires like being actively deployed it's not like a passive ability <laughs> you know <laughs> This means that a predator that is stealthy enough could take a skunk by surprise and not give it time to use its spray. Best example being a silently flying owl, uh, because skunks are nocturnal. So the times when they're out and foraging and not in their dens is also the time when owls are out. So owls having naturally the high ground advantage <laughs> can just swoop right down and they're silent. Right. So the skunk has no idea the owl is coming. Well, great horned owls are actually the number one predator of skunks. Wow. So they're not great against owls. Um, <laughs> I, I read somewhere that there was a great horned owl nest that had the remains of like 20 skunks in it. Wow. Get yeah. It. Apparently, they're just <laughs> hard countered. Um, and then also the fact that it does have such a long cooldown is it's kind of like using a cannon for self-defense, right? Yeah. It's like you can't – it takes a lot of effort to use and then you can't use it that often. So, like, it's a really cool thing to have. Mm -hmm. I could use some refinement. <laughs> uh, you, you might be getting to this later, but don't they have a warning system? Yeah. So, it's a last resort. Uh -huh. It's It's not their go-to. So, if they're, like – face-to-face -face with a predator, they will kind of put on a show first. They'll hiss. They do this thing where they stomp their feet and, like, wiggle their butt around a little bit. Right. And um, actually, the spotted skunk in particular has something that they do 
that I'm obsessed with that I'll get into an ingenuity. But yeah, they do kind of do other stuff first. I, I bring it up just because I was thinking, even if they are on cooldown, will they still do all that stuff to pretend like they aren't? Probably. Like to, to fake them out. That's probably enough. Yeah. I'm, it would work on me. <laughs> I have no way of knowing. I'd rather not roll those dice. Yeah. So being nocturnal, they've also invested more of their perception points into their senses of smell and hearing so they don't see very well, which poses a very similar problem to that of the opossum in the armadillo, hmm. which is that they cannot see cars that are uh, coming. It's a low situational awareness yeah. um, when it comes to cars. So I actually, just like last week, I saw a wild skunk as roadkill yeah. um, on the road. I, I will say I don't see skunks as roadkill that much. Not as much as armadillos. No, armadillos and opossums are by far way more common roadkill than than skunks. But it is a problem for skunks. They can't see the cars coming. Right. So that kind of wraps things up for effectiveness. Next up is ingenuity. I give the spotted skunk a 7 out of 10. Um, like you, like I said, the spray is a last resort. So, you know, they would really prefer to bail on the situation entirely rather than use the spray. So they will threat display a little bit, puff themselves up, look real tough. This is the reason that I wanted to talk about the spotted skunk specifically. There's a unique behavior they do when they're threatened. Mm -hmm. They try to make themselves appear bigger Uh and more intimidating. You're smiling. I think you know what I'm going to say. I think so, yeah. They flip themselves up onto their front paws (laughs) and do a full handstand. (laughs) And not only are they doing a handstand, but they also like splay their back legs out, like spread eagle. (laughs) And they have that big fluffy tail that just kind of like flops forward and it's all bushy. So like it is spectacular to see. (laughs) It is so funny it looks straight out of the circus it really does like when i first saw pictures of this i thought it was like a captive skunk that had been trained to do this as a trick (laughs) i thought it was like a circus skunk Uh uh-huh it's so cute it's got that same energy as the red panda thing with the red panda "Ah, oh where they like stand up on their hind legs and put their arms out yes and and it's like they're so cute that the fact that they're doing this is hilarious i'm sure it's effective you know it's very serious business for Uh human of course it just looks adorable i'm probably being quite patronizing (laughs) to the skunk but gosh i mean when you see it you can't help but just like hear calliope music playing in the background it's just they, they flip themselves up onto their little front paws and it's just it's so cute that was the thing that made me completely like divert course over to the spotted skunk because striped striped skunks don't do that it's like specific to this type of skunk maybe they're too big that would probably have to do with it maybe (laughs) well there are other things that the spotted skunk is better at than the striped skunk because they're smaller Mm -hmm. so they can squeeze into smaller spaces they can climb a lot better than striped skunks can Mm. i saw like some websites said that only the spotted skunk can climb trees i don't think that's true because i saw youtube videos of striped skunks climbing trees yeah so i think probably any skunk because they got really sharp claws they can get a lot of traction and climb a tree it's just it's easier for a spotted skunk because they're smaller Mm mm-hmm Another reason that you're more likely to smell a skunk than ever see one is that they are nocturnal. And when they're not foraging for food, they live in dens, which sometimes they will make themselves by digging themselves a den. But they do also like to use dens that have already been dug by other animals. So I love working smarter instead of harder. You take what's already there. 
Um, here in Florida, they like to use abandoned gopher tortoise or armadillo burrows mm. like that. They can sometimes get a little too close for comfort with humans, <laughs> which, uh, you know, they, they might make a den in a garage or under a shed. Like they'll come into a human space and, and make themselves at home there. Um, so if you have open spaces, a skunk could crawl in. Make sure that the spaces are secured. Try to put barriers there to prevent the skunk from getting in. Don't leave out potential food and water sources. You know, like some people put out like food for their pets mm-hmm. outside, but then that also brings in skunks. Um, so just try not to do that. Try not to leave it out where a skunk could get to it. And it would like incentivize the skunk to hang out at your house a little bit more. Um, but if you do find yourself with a surprise skunk roommate, they can be gently persuaded to leave by just keeping the area well lit and being really noisy. <laughs> so like if you are just annoying enough that the skunk is like, oh, this sucks. Like you can annoy the skunk into leaving without having to necessarily like have any further conflict with the skunk just be a a mildly bad roommate (laughs) (laughs) yeah um like i said like they sleep during the day so if you just kind of make sure that the area is really well lit and maybe like i don't know oh you know what you could do uh play this podcast really really loud (laughs) all day long (laughs) in your garage and it'll scare skunks away someone recently reached out to me about using this podcast as cougar deterrent ah did I show you this you, message? You did, you did. Yes. So playing this podcast on speakers to simulate humans being in the area to prevent mountain lions from coming into an area. <laughs> I thought that was the best thing I'd ever heard. I'm obsessed with that. It's nice to know that there's some place out there that we can just explore and protect ourselves from cougars by just talking. I know. Because they, well, they'll, they'll hear it and they'll be like, oh, no. <laughs> Not <them>. again. <laughs> Um, well, that works with a lot of animals, you know, just like be loud. Like they don't want to be true. around you. They don't want to sneak up on you. You know, like if you're just noisy, they'll know you're coming and they'll leave and they'll leave you alone. Like that yeah. works with bears, right? People say to carry like bells around in the forest to keep bears away. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, you can just be noisy. (laughs) I should say skunks are not a threat to humans. But if you have pets, dogs are especially bad at triggering skunks to spray. Mm -hmm. Because dogs don't get it. You know, like if you're a human, you can see a skunk giving the warning signs and you know to leave it alone. But a dog might not understand what a skunk is. And the dog might just want to play and make a friend. Right. Um, So if you have pets around, you might want to scoot your skunk friend along sooner than later. (laughs) Uh, And finally, aesthetics for the spotted skunk. I give it full marks, 10 out of 10. This is a delightful creature. I think, hot take alert, spotted skunks, I think, are cuter than striped skunks. I also think that all skunks are inherently very cute. They have sweet little puppy dog faces. I love them. Baby skunks are called kits, Mm. and that's adorable. And the baby skunks are super cute. Love them. Love everything about them. They're so sweet. I find that how they move is a little charming. They're, they're so low to the ground, they're doing like a little wibble wobble as they go it along. It is a little wibble wobble. <laughs> and they have a little bit of a prance to them, too. You know, it's like a slight little skipping motion almost. Uh-huh. Gosh, it's cute. I love a skunk. It's, <laughs> it's got to be one of my favorite animals that lives around here. Like, just a delightful creature. Even, even with it being so elusive. I know we never get to see them, but, mm-hmm. but I feel like that's okay. I'm 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 happy just knowing that they're <laughs> nearby. You know, like it just brings me joy. Downwind. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, finally, to wrap things up for the spotted skunk, their conservation status is vulnerable, really? which is one step up from endangered. Mm. Um, that is as a whole. But then populations throughout their range, like I mentioned, there are subspecies like in different parts of the country. Um, maybe more or less at risk. So, for example, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission classifies the eastern spotted skunk as a species of greatest conservation need. Hmm. They used to be a lot more common than they are now. They had a sharp population decline throughout the 1900s. One of the biggest contributing factors probably being the fur trade. So they were hunted for their fur, trapped, even farmed for fur. I feel like, personally, I would not want to wear a skunk fur just because of the association with the smell right Right. (laughs) i feel like i would see a skunk fur and think that probably doesn't smell great that mostly stopped in the 1970s though like other animals were being trapped and the trap can't tell what it's trapping right right so like skunks would be trapped accidentally because other animals were being trapped Mm -hmm. so currently the biggest threat to the spotted skunk is habitat loss as it is for a lot of animals skunks need a dense understory like bushes and shrubs to keep them safe from aerial predators like i mentioned owls huge problem for skunks Mm -hmm. so skunks don't have that sort of underbrush that they can hide under They're easy pickings for an owl. Spotted skunks are also less tolerant to human activity than striped skunks are. So you're less likely to see them, but as human activity like expands into their habitat, it pushes them away and fragments their habitat a lot more. Hmm. It's just important to remember that they function as predators and as scavengers, much like the vulture that you mentioned. So skunks play like a really important role in the ecosystem. They're really, really useful in controlling their prey populations, but also in cleaning things up, like cleaning up dead critters and stuff. So mm-hmm. I get that maybe they don't have the most uh, savory smell associated with them, but, you know, they're, they're an important spoke in the wheel. Do you think they have a, they have a baseline stink that even if they haven't sprayed in a while, do they still have? I mean, I would imagine that as with any wild animal, they probably don't smell fantastic. Just like normally. Right. But specifically that stink. Like, is there like a. Like a a residue on their fur, maybe? Yeah, like at all times, I wonder. I mean, I would have to guess, right? Mm -hmm. But they can shoot it so far that like maybe it. They shoot it away from them and they don't get it on their fur. Maybe. I, like I said, I haven't been up close and personal with a skunk <laughs> enough to know. Some people have pet skunks where oh, they yeah. like remove the glands that produce the scent. Yeah. I don't think you should do that Probably personally. Not. But <laughs> um, but it's, it's not like the skunk itself is inherently smelly. It's because of that gland. Makes sense. Yeah. Which it works for them, you know? Like, it's something that helps them protect themselves. So even though humans find it unsavory, it's not our place to make a judgment call on that because that's what they use to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. So I love skunks. I'm pro-skunk all the way. Love them to death. Team skunk. Team skunk. Absolutely over here. (laughs) That is the Eastern Spotted Skunk. Thanks, honey. Thank you. Well, thank you to everybody who has listened today. We really appreciate you being here with us and trusting us with your time and just hanging out and appreciating animals. If you liked what you heard today, it would really mean a lot to us if you left us a good review. I really hope that we've earned five stars. 
one would hope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord. Send us an email. My email address is ellen at just the zoo of us.com. So let me know if you have a cool animal that you want to hear us talk about. I would like to say thank you to Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside their other just fantastic shows. You can check them out and learn more about the network over at MaximumFun.org. Uh, while you're there, it would be awesome if you signed up for a membership. That membership supports us and the other shows on the network and lets us keep doing what we're doing. There's also a lot of cool like Max Fun bonus content and stuff that is available to all members. Mm-hmm. Finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our incredible theme music. It is so good and fun. We love it. Mm-hmm. I feel like it captures the vibe, right? It's so good. It is. Next week's episode is about cuckoo wasps. So see you next week. Bye. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.